Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. See, when, when a parent is yelling, the child has to emotions. One is fear, I need to run away, or anger, you can't do this to me. One of those two, or both at the same time. But if you're not allowed to experience that, because if you, you can't run away as a two-year-old or a five-year-old, also if you get angry with your parent, all, all that's going to happen is you're going to get more punishment coming down at you. Therefore, in order to belong and to be accepted, You have to suppress the fear, you have to suppress the anger. Now you've lost connection with yourself. So that the authenticity, which is that capacity to feel, becomes in conflict with our need to belong. And then all our lives we keep acting that out. We keep giving up who we are in order to be accepted and to belong and to be liked and to be respected. So we all walk around with the mask on. But we don't know it. We think the mask is ourselves. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona, and this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with a renowned addiction expert, speaker, and author, Dr. Gabor Maté. The second episode of this podcast was already with Gabor Maté about how to heal your emotional wounds. It's been downloaded so many times that to close this fifth series of Harvest series and before moving to season six, we thought we'd release another interview of Gabor about authenticity this time. The physician will explain why it is so fundamental to be authentic, why it's hard in our modern societies, and what could happen if we don't try. Hello, Gabor. Could you please explain this notion uh, that we think we know about? What is authenticity? So, again, if you look at the meaning of the word, it comes from the Greek word for auto, which means the self. So to be authentic is to be yourself. And that, what does that mean? Like an automobile is a machine that can propel itself. It doesn't have to be pulled by a horse, you know? So to be authentic is to be connected to ourselves. What does that mean? It means being connected to our emotions. Because we're emotional creatures before we're intellectual creatures. And um, in evolution, that was the case. Like we had, you know, creatures had emotions long before they had intellect. The intellect is the last part of our being that developed. And the prefrontal cortex where intellect is located is what distinguishes us for, from other uh, apes. But so that's true evolution is speaking. So the emotions come first. Yes. And then the intellect is based on that structure of emotions. It's also true in the development of the a human child from embryo onwards so that the emotional right side of the brain develops much faster than the left intellectual side. That means that our earliest experiences are emotional ones. We feel much, much long before we, we think. And later on, our capacity to think clearly is very much dependent on our capacity to, to be in touch with our emotions. And so authenticity means being in touch with our emotions, primarily. And... Uh, That's necessary for evolution because 
we grew up, we evolved out in the wild, in, the, in nature. We didn't evolve in Paris or London or New York, you know, or, or, in, or in villages or towns. We evolved out there in nature. If you're not in touch with the emotions out in nature, you don't survive very long. So authenticity is being in touch with what we feel and being able to listen to what we feel and being able to... I'm not talking about our emotions, which can be very confused. I'm talking about our feelings that precede emotions, you know, our authentic gut feelings. So that's what authenticity is. A lot of us lose that very early in life. So, yeah, and why? Well, yeah. like yesterday when I gave the talk, I asked the whole crowd, I said, well, if you have had the experience of having a strong gut feeling and you ignored it and you were sorry afterwards, put your hand up, everybody put their hand up, which meant they were telling me their histories of childhood. They were telling me that when they were kids, they had strong gut feelings, but they had to learn to suppress them. Why? In order to fit in with the environment. So that the, the family atmosphere demanded that the child disconnect from themselves in order to fit in. Now the child doesn't have much choice in the matter because he, she, they can't survive without attachment. That connection with the nurturing environment, you have to belong as a child. You have to, you have to, you have to. So if the circumstances are such, when you're being badly hurt in a family of origin, many people are actually abused in their families of origin, or if the parents are yelling a lot or, you know, whatever, the child has these feelings. And I mean, see, when, when a parent is yelling, the child has two emotions. One is fear, I need to run away, or anger, you can't do this to me. One of those two, or both at the same time. But if you're not allowed to experience that, because if you, you can't run away as a two-year-old or a five-year-old, also if you get angry with your parent, all, all that's gonna happen is you're gonna get more punishment coming down at you. Therefore, in order to belong and to be accepted, you have to suppress the fear, you have to suppress the anger. Now you've lost connection with yourself. So that the authenticity, which is that capacity to feel becomes in conflict with our need to belong. And then all our lives, we keep acting that out. We keep giving up who we are in order to be accepted and to belong and to be liked and to be respected. So we all walk around with the mask on, but we don't know it. <laughs> we think the mask is ourselves. How do you know uh, that uh, in a situation or in a certain time of your life, you're not uh, authentic? Is it like a feeling? Have you ever had the experience of you're in a situation and somebody asks you something and you, and you say something in response and then later on you say to yourself, hmm, that wasn't me. Why did yeah. I do that? Well, Clearly, yeah, you adapt to no, what people yeah, want. Yeah, and, yeah. So what in you knows that? Who's the one that knows that? Yeah, yourself. Yourself, yeah. So it's not that difficult. Some people, it gets really shut down, they're not even aware of it. And they're the people who are at great risk for illness and, and mental illness and so on. So that they're not even aware that they're not being authentic. Until something happens, then they have to wake up. What can happen usually and reveal uh, oh, to these people you, that you're you not can, authentic? You can get a disease. As I've written in one of my books, when the body says no, um, most chronic illness comes from a suppression of oneself, which has an impact on the physiology. So it's, I'm not being mystical here. I'm saying that the, the psychology in real life can't be separated from the physiology. So when you're suppressing yourself psychologically, 
and you did that not deliberately, not consciously, so you can't just stop it like that. You did it as a defensive maneuver in childhood. You, your mind did it automatically. That can show up in a form of physical illness, or it can show up in a form of, say, depression. I mean, even if you take a word like depression, what does it mean to depress something? It means to push it down. So then this disease called depression, it's not a disease. It, it, it's, it was a coping mechanism. You pushed on your feelings because you weren't allowed to feel them and you had to survive in your environment. Yeah. And uh, so, so that disconnect from the self can show up in physical illness or mental illness. It can show up in your relationships. You know, uh, all of a sudden you're in a relationship and, and you're not happy and, and, and you realize you're not being yourself, you're not expressing yourself, you're afraid to express yourself. Because if, you if you express how you really feel, you won't be loved, you won't be accepted, you know. So it can show up in many ways. And the wake-up calls can be very hard. In Kaplankaya, Dr. Gabor Maté read some extracts from his last book, The Myth of Normal, about two women who reconnected to themselves after a terrible disease. This is the singer and songwriter and musical megastar, Sheryl Crow, who had, as you may have heard, she had uh, breast cancer. And here's what she learned through her cancer. She says, surviving breast cancer redefined who I am and how I am. Until then, I'd spent a lifetime being a caretaker for everyone around me. From then, I started to put myself first. I had voices at the back of my head telling me, that whatever I did wasn't good enough. Now I have finally silenced them, she said. Now I don't recommend getting disease as a teacher, but it often is. And I'll quote you somebody else. This is a, another woman who's quite famous. Her name is Anita, Anita Murjani, and Anita is now 60, 61 years old. When she was 41, she had terminal lymphoma. She was in the ICU. She heard the doctors telling her husband that she's only got a, her, her organs were shutting down. She heard the doctors telling her that she only had a few days to live. And then she had her near-death experience where she actually saw her whole life. She wrote a book called Dying to be Me. Now get the meaning of that sentence, dying to me. She literally had to nearly die to become herself. The terminal lymphoma that's supposed to have killed her in 20 years ago, long gone. And she's here, very uh, vibrant and active and uh, a very uh, lovely personality. And she told me that the person I was before I got cancer was afraid of disappointing other people. I was a pleaser. I completely lost myself in satisfying other people. I became so drained. I was someone who could not say no. I was a rescuer. And I would be the one who was there for everyone. I didn't even learn that it's okay to be me when I had cancer. It took being a coma to learn that. So Gabor, let's talk now about uh, the society. If um, everybody were to be completely authentic and um, if everybody did what they wanted, uh, wouldn't it lead to more conflict between people? Not necessarily. I mean, when you're comfortable with yourself, 
then you don't need the other person to be any different than the way they are to make you feel better so that you can, you can accept who they are. And then, well, yeah, they're different. You know? They have a different point of view. They appreciate different food or different artistic expressions, you know. But that doesn't threaten me because I'm okay with myself. So authenticity doesn't lead to conflict. It leads to actually, it leads to a lot more peace. So I find it um, confusing as, a, of course, a mom should be attached to her child. And um, this is very important. But also, isn't it natural for a mother or a father to make everything possible so that your child fits in society and also in the classroom so he doesn't get problems at school? Here's a question you're asking. Should I meet my child's needs? Or should I try and meet my child's society's needs and expectations? What do you want to do? Now, there's a great psychologist, social psychologist, who lived and worked in the first half of the 20th century, Eric Fromm. He said that the family acts as the psychic agent of society. So the, society, the family's job is to prepare the child not to develop according to their own needs, but to develop according to the expectations of society. Now. In actual fact, that if you raise a child and if you meet their needs, even if they don't fit into the classroom, they're going to be much better learners. Because real learning comes from what? It comes from being alive and being curious. Now, a kid who is comfortable with themselves, that, you know, look at a two-year-old. They're the most curious creatures in the world. You know, everything. They want to explore everything. You know, we can stay that way unless it's forbidden. You know, unless we lose contact with ourselves. So the child whose needs are met actually will grow up to be a more curious, quicker learner, intellectually more advanced, socially more responsible. Because, again, if you feel comfortable with yourself, then you can respect other people. But this society is not interested in that. It's interested in people fitting into the machine. So why is it more challenging for women to be authentic in general, as you said? My wife had, when we had three children, my wife had four children, three. Are you including yourself? Yeah, I was the adult child. And uh, she took on looking after my emotional needs and all this. But that came at the expense of her own children. And it came at her own expense, because then she has to suppress her needs. Because her needs was for an adult partner, not for this emotional child in the body of an intelligent physician, you know? <laughs> and so to the extent that she gave up her own needs, you know, she paid a price for that. You know, her children paid a price. And in this society, women are programmed culturally to play that role of absorbing all the stresses and conflicts. And, and, and um, Hillary Clinton, I talk about this in my new book, when her husband was having all these affairs, you know what she said? It's my fault. I didn't, realize his, I didn't realize his needs. I didn't take care of his needs enough. So she took responsibility. You know, that's a sign of trauma. It's also a sign of cultural suppression. So I'm saying that in this culture, women are given this impossible task of taking care of everybody and to feel guilty if they don't do it successfully. And that's why women have far more depression and anxiety, and that's why women have far more autoimmune disease than men do because they, they're programmed to suppress themselves more. Do you need to learn to be a bit selfish, to be authentic? Well, see, selfish, again, is a matter of language. You know, I mean, what does selfish mean to you? Take care about myself. 
take more care. Is, is that selfish? No. So what would be the word? That, that's you called self-respecting. Yeah. Selfish is why the way I understand the word is when you keep taking from other people to make yourself richer and bigger, and that's when you ignore other people's needs. Yeah, but do you need to ignore a little no, bit? You don't have to ignore other them. people's needs. You just want, but, but you can. But if you're self-respecting, then you'll decide what is my role here. What do I choose to do? So if, if I have children, as a mom or as a father for that matter, your job given by nature is to take care of those little creatures. You know? But as regards my friends or my adult spouse, is it my responsibility to take care of their emotional needs when they're not doing it themselves? Or if I'm self-respecting, will I not say, well, you know what, that's too much for me. You know, so it's not a question of selfishness, it's a question of self-respect. Uh, no, people will call you selfish. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but, but that's another story. Yeah. You know, what they call you is their problem. Being authentic is everything but easy. And society is not always helping us, wanting us to fit in. For some of us, it seems less difficult to be even someone else than ourselves, as we want to avoid more suffering. In Kaplankaya, Gabor Mate gave some examples of those who lost themselves in the way. So this man is a physician. He died at age 55 of cancer, and the obituary said, Never for a day did he contemplate giving up the work he so loved at Sick Children's Hospital. He carried on with his duties throughout his year-long battle with cancer, stopping only a few days before he died. Now, what would you tell a friend of yours? Just forget about it. Go back to work and don't think for a minute about what your needs might be. That rigid identification with duty, role, and responsibility, rather than the needs of the authentic self, is a major risk factor for illness, both of body and mind. And I can totally relate to it. I mean, uh, in my days as a workaholic doctor, I, I never said no to anything. My identity was, was totally hinged on my work. And identity is an interesting word because it's, 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 it's from two Latin words, idem, which means the same, and facera, which means to make. So when you make yourself the same, as your duty or own responsibility, you disappear as a human being with your own emotions and your own truths. You just become that thing that you do. Major risk factor for pathology. The third obituary um, is really telling because it celebrates people who are super nice. And people who are super nice, I always worry about them because I can see the writing on the wall. This is the husband writing appreciatively of, her, of, his, of his wife. In her entire life, she never got into a fight with anyone. The worst she could say was fui or something else along those lines. She had no ego. She just blended in with the environment in an unassuming manner. What is being described here is the absence of healthy anger. Now, those of you who are in relationships like I am, 55 years now in this relationship, I'm sure that you wished, as I, like I did, that your partner would blend in with the environment in an unassuming manner. But uh, if you're lucky, they didn't do that because they wanted to stay healthy. 
But that suppression of healthy anger is a major blow to the immune system for very obvious physiological reasons. And actually, how God created us, our nature evolved us. We have a system in our brain for rage. We actually have an anger system in our brain. It's there for a good reason. When we're suppressing anger, healthy anger I'm talking about, we're suppressing part of our natural defense. And that also suppresses the immune system, which is another part of our natural defense. During your speech, Gabor, um, you mentioned the help of medicinal plants to find authenticity. I'm curious, uh, how can they help in the process of being more authentic? Plant work, I mean, we're talking about the psychedelic mm -hmm. plants. And psychedelic, by the way, yeah. the word was coined by a British psychiatrist. And he meant it to say it, it means mind manifesting. So psychedelic doesn't mean wild trips and hallucinations and so on, it means you get to see your mind, you know, and, and, and you get to experience your mind, including all the unconscious content in your mind. So yeah, it can be very helpful in the right setting, with the right guidance, with the right intention, and the right integration afterwards. It can be very helpful to experience your mind and to see it, oh, there's all this pain there, there's all this fear there. There's all this joy there. I didn't know that. There's all this love there. I wasn't in touch with it, you know. So that it, it can be very helpful to, to find yourself. Okay. Did you see that some people used it and some change in, in them? In the, in the well, I can tell you myself my, from my own personal experience. I would love to know. Oh, I, I've been working with plants for over a dozen years now. I've been leading retreats with it. Beginning in my new book, I, there's a chapter on it. Um, but I can tell you one experience, for example. I'm lying on a therapist's couch or a mat on the floor, actually, and I've taken mushrooms, psilocybin. And she's, this is six years ago, when I'm 72 years old, and, uh, and she's, the, she's in her 50s, you know. And I've taken the mushroom, so I'm in an altered state. So I'm fully aware that my name is Gabor, I'm a 72-year-old doctor and author, and whatever I am, married, three kids, and, uh, And this is a therapist, and I've taken mushrooms. So I'm fully aware of all that. I'm not like far gone in some distant realm. But at the same time, I'm experiencing myself as a one-year-old. Oh. And, she, and she's my mother. And I start crying. And I say, I'm so sorry I made your life so difficult. That means that at one year age, I took on responsibility for my mother's unhappiness. And that's shown up in so many ways in my life, you know? So that manifested my mind. This is what I was carrying unconsciously in my mind. Wow. That I'm responsible for my mother's suffering, you know? Which, of course, I wasn't. No child ever is. But that's an example of a mind-manifesting experience. Yeah, and then you could start working on that. Like, exactly, exactly, you, yeah. This came to you, like, it's clear that it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a pain in you and uh, something that... That's uh, right. Yeah. That's right. Very interesting. You also said that you can, uh, we don't wish that for anybody, but uh, through disease or crisis yeah. also, yeah. you will find an urgent uh, need in yourself to find your uh, authenticity. I've, in family practice, uh, which I did for 
over 20 years and in palliative care work, I was looking after terminally ill people for seven years. I found out chronic illness, not always, but almost always, has a template of childhood trauma and self-suppression, loss of authenticity. And I've talked with a lot of people, even with terminal disease, you may not believe this, but I've had people who are dying say to me, I'm so grateful for this illness because it helped me discover who I really am. I don't recommend it as a way of waking up, okay? But, but I can tell you, I've talked to many, many, many people who had a big wake-up call when they developed the illness, when they realized that the illness wasn't just some random accident, that misfortune that happened to them, but actually it came along as a manifestation of their lives and a, and a call to become themselves. And what's miraculous about it is that I've documented this, and so have other researchers, more than I have. We know people that have been told you're going to die 20 years ago, and they're still alive. You know, people who are supposed to have... But, and doctors don't know that. You know, there's so much they don't know. For example, there's a disease called ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It's a disease of the nervous system. It paralyzes you. If you remember the physicist Stephen Hawking, he had it, you know. He was 20 years old when he was diagnosed, 21. He was told he had two years to live. He lived another 52 years and became the world's, one of the world's greatest physicists. Yeah, yeah. That's how much doctors know. And ALS does kill you most of the time, but there's documented evidence of people who actually not only didn't die, but actually completely healed from it. In other words, there's some mechanisms that medicine just doesn't understand. I know people with terminal illnesses who should have died decades ago, but who didn't. And in each of those cases, there was a big wake-up. Now, again, I'm not recommending it. And I'd never say to anybody, oh, congratulations, you got this disease, this is going to be... That's cruel. But people come to that conclusion themselves. Yeah. So and, it's the only and, life worth, yeah. worthy. And when they do, it's the biggest learning of their whole lives. Yeah. They're so grateful for it. I could tell you lots of stories like that. If you had to do like a um, few steps to find uh, authenticity, mm-hmm. is there like a protocol, a shortened protocol, if you can look into yourself? Well, um, again, you just look at where your life isn't working. You know, you're addicted. What is it doing for you? Like you said, it gave you, in a previous conversation, you said it gave you confidence. Well, my question is, Where did you lose your confidence? Do a little bit of investigation, you know? Or if you're addicted to, to sex, it's not sex that you're looking for. Because if it was sex, you'd just marry somebody else who's addicted to sex, then you could be happy for the rest of your lives. It's not about that, is it? It's about having to have new partners all the time. Why do you have to have new partners all the time? Because you don't feel lovable. And you have to keep proving to yourself that you're desirable. And so the addiction is not to the sexual act itself. It's, it's, it's to this need to, to be validated as desirable. Okay, where did, you, where did you learn that you're not desirable? Where did you learn that you weren't worth it? You know? So in other words, the problems that we have are clear guidance to what we lost and where we lost it. You know, in relationships, you know, if, if, if um, my wife doesn't want to hold me and I get angry and hurt, well, which part of me feels like such a lost little baby 
that I need mommy to hold me right now, otherwise I just feel terrible. You know, so in other words, life gives us lots of clues as to where our traumas happen and how they show up, and we just have to pay attention. So it's time for the harvest of the day. Um, I have already asked you, Gabor, what would make the world a better place uh, in a previous episode of Harvest Series. So I will ask you something else. What does it bring to be more authentic? Well, have you experienced a difference? Hmm. Fulfillment? It's the greatest gift there is. You know, because fulfill means you're full. You don't need anything else. You know, you're not hungry looking for something else from the outside. That's, that's what it brings you. Yeah, but I think it's hard to be like always authentic. Like I think it's like a journey and uh, needs to... Well, well, it is a journey. Maybe for some people... It, it is an absolute journey. Um, and that's the journey of life, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's a journey. And, uh, but that's what it brings you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Gabor Maté on how to be authentic. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram, Harvest Series. I also hope you will stay with us for the sixth season of Harvest Series. We'll be releasing interviews in Kaplankaya of lots of fascinating people, like a movie director, someone who fought against autism thanks to diving, a conscious sexuality expert, a shaman, or a regeneration architect. Plenty of brilliant minds who share their knowledge during harvest in Kaplankaya. Until next time. <laughs>